We are in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's go ahead and turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're almost going to finish 1 Timothy, and then we're going to go to Jonah, and then we're going to go back to 2 Timothy, and then we're going to go back to, uh, let's see, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. We're, going to go, we're going back and forth between the minor prophets and, the, and these, uh, past, these uh, letters of Paul. So we've been looking for the last few weeks really to this idea of flee and follow and fight these things, these, these charges that Paul gave to Timothy. This is what he told him to do. You need to flee. Flee from those things that are not right. Flee from false teaching. Flee from youthful lust. Flee from the things of this world. And follow after God and he's going to give you the, his love, his righteousness, his godliness. Pursue after those things that are good and and healthy and right. And then he says to fight the good fight. We took two weeks to look at that because there's these three battlefronts that we look at, the world and the flesh and the devil. And we're, we're fighting this fight and, and it's not an easy fight. It's like everywhere. But, but he told Timothy and he's telling you and I as well today, God is telling us by his spirit through his word that we need to fight, and it's a good fight. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. The, the last bell hasn't sounded yet. And so, remembering, of course, that we fight with his strength. We can't fight in our own strength. We're going to lose every time, every single time, especially when we're fighting against the enemy of our souls. We're going to lose every single time. He's been around a lot longer than you and I have. Amen? And so we need to fight with the strength that only he can give and in the name of the Lord and in his strength, putting on all the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6. So today I want to ask you a question as we move on to the next section here is what is your life like? That's my question to you today. What is your life like? And this is the second question. Are you living the dream. Now that's kind of a common phrase, right? Are you living the dream? But I think it's a I think it's a good question when I'm looking at what Paul has to say today, I think there's an application for you and I in this today. I guess the the question before that should be what is the dream, right? What is your dream? What is my dream? And I I think we need to ask that question. What is the dream in my life? What is it that, I, that I'm going after? Because it has something to do with what our lives are like. Uh, you know, is my life total frustration and discouragement or meaninglessness? Or is it something different, something better? Living the dream. I love that. I was teaching my grandkids that. This is what you say when you say, how's it going? You say, live in the dream. They don't know what a dream is, but they're living the dream. But, but you and I are old enough, I think. Even you guys are old enough to know what is the dream in your life. Are you really living the dream? And I, I just want to say this because I can't, I can't even go on any further about this. Living the dream, isn't, isn't it, or shouldn't it be living the dream is to serve Jesus? And to follow him and to, to live with what he's given us 
and to worship Him. Isn't that really the dream that we have as believers? I think it is. So, so I'm jumping way ahead of myself here in that, in that if, if, those, if that is what the dream is, then, then we should definitely be living the dream. But are we is the question, I think. What are, what are our lives really like in comparison to what the dream, what, what the vision, what the life is? You know, uh, how many of you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? You should read that book. You know, I say these things, and, and the, like I said, the preachers always say, go back and read this. Well, you should go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes, because he, anybody know who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon did, and, and he was a wise man. He had been given wisdom by God, but you know what? He, he tried out everything, and this is what he said. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And, and he says this over and over again. We're going to look at some of the positive things he says, but when he looked at the stuff that was around, and he tried everything. He tried it all. I mean, he tried it all, literally. And in our day and age, uh, you know, we, we can just think about what the world has to offer. If you want to try everything the world has to offer, well, that's what Solomon did in his day. And he had all the money to try everything that he wanted to try. He was uh, probably one of the wealthiest men that ever lived on the earth, one of the wisest men that, that ever lived on the earth. But he didn't put the wisdom into practice because of where he went. But in the end, he comes back around. But for the believer, for the, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, I want to say this to you today. This is what Jesus said. The thief, we, we talked about the thief, the thief that we fight against. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus said he wants for us. He wants us to live the life that he gives to us. He wants us to have a full life. But again, the definition of it, is it the, is it the same as what the world would say that they're living the dream? Uh, probably not. Well, definitely not. Let's, let's put it that way. But for you and I to, to, to determine what does it mean to really live for, him, live for him? What does it mean, this eternal life that he's given to us? Is that just something that's off in the future that we're going to have someday? Or is it like here and now? I think he says it's here and now. Isn't that what he's saying? That they may have it to the full. That they may have life to the full. Living. You see, living the dream, that's got life in it, right? Living life. Living the dream. Man, I just envision this, that, 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 that we as believers... You know, we'd, we'd ask each other, well, how are you doing? And that doesn't mean we're not going to have battles and fights and trials and suffering and all the rest of it. But we're still living the dream because our hearts are focused on our Savior. And, and we're getting the full fullness, the abundant life that He's given to us in the middle of all that stuff. And that you could truthfully and honestly answer, I, I'm living the dream. Just go ahead and say that one time. Living the dream. See, it's not that hard to say. But sometimes it's not that easy to do. When I think about Paul's life and, and you know, some of the more, more challenging statements that he made, like, you know, I've learned that whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, little to be content. I've learned the secret of being content. That's living the dream. No matter what God gave to him, he says, you know what, I'm there. 
And I'm content because God is the one who provides for me. It's not, you know, it's not the world. It's God that's taking care of me. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Does that describe us? And if it doesn't, why not? What are we doing wrong? What are we chasing after? One of the songs we sing is that he's greater than the things that we're chasing after. What are you and I chasing after? I think sometimes we get the things mixed up and we're chasing after the, the wrong things and we wonder why we are in that frustration, that discouragement, that meaningless chasing after the wind that Solomon mentioned. What are we holding on to? Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, the second half of verse 12. He says this, take hold, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says to take hold of the eternal life. Now you say, is he, is he talking about telling Timothy he should grab a hold of eternal life and get saved? Become a believer, become a follower? I don't think so. Do you think so? I think, you know, we, we've looked at Timothy now for, for a long time, and, and, and Paul it makes it very clear that Timothy is a, a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. He learned it from his mother, from his grandmother. He was a true follower of Jesus. So, so if he's telling him to take hold of, of eternal life, what is he talking about here? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. You see, this eternal life is something that Timothy already had. He already believed. He already had it. He already had it. And, and, and really, when you look at the words here, what he really is speaking about is to grasp it, to take hold of it, to apply it in, in his life, to, to focus on the one who gave him life, the one who is his life, the one who is our life, to, to, to take hold of that eternal life, that, that life that Jesus said. Take a hold of what he has offered and what he has already given to us. You know, I, I'm very challenged by these passages because I'm thinking, you know, uh, am I living the dream? Am I really focused on that? Am I, have I taken hold of that life that he has for me? And I have, to, I have to honestly say, you know, it doesn't seem to measure up. So what do we do? Well, it's, kind of, it's called refocus. It's called, you know, course correction, right? Well, where are we? And, and, and again, for each of us to ask these questions, we, we study the word because God can speak to us. He can challenge us, encourage us, test us to see where we are. I don't think it's wrong for us to be challenged. I went to the huddle this year and I was challenged about a lot of things. I think it's good. I think we need to ask ourselves, well, what, what is my life like? He says to take hold of the eternal life. I'm going to read to you a couple of definitions that different people gave of this. One says this, to claim its benefits in greater fullness. To claim its benefits in greater fullness. That you've got this eternal life. Well, I'm going to, I want it. I want it now. I want it. Not, again, just something that's in the future. Someone else said this. To live out in daily practice the eternal life which was already his. 
something we already have. We have eternal life. We have eternal life. But to live it out in daily practice? How about this one? I put this one on the screen. It's a little bit longer, but I like it. The eternal life which believers enter is not simply a future hope. It is also a present reality. We take hold of this eternal life when we live in the power and values of God's eternal kingdom. We take hold of this eternal life when we live in the power and the values of God's God's eternal kingdom. That's what he's telling Timothy here. When you think about who Timothy was and some of the trials, he had fears, he had, you know, his own personality issues that he had to deal with, but Paul's telling Timothy, you better grab hold of the life that you have. You've got it already. It's yours. It's a, it's a gift that you have. It's a life that you have. Take a hold of it, Timothy, he says. And I think he says that to you and I as well. Take hold of it. The King James Version Study Bible said this, let it grip you. And John Corson said, keep focused on the fact that you're going to heaven. Keep focused on the fact that you're going to heaven. You see, when, when, when this kind of thing is going on in our lives, you know, we, and we're focused on that and we're, we're thinking about more about the life that we have, not that phone that's going off right now, we, it changes our perspective, doesn't it? Okay, it's done. It's over. It's okay. It changes our perspective, doesn't it? That, you know, the things that I face in this life, they're not, they're not as overwhelming as they could be because my eyes are on Jesus and my home is in heaven and, and I am going to heaven one day and I have his life inside of me right now, you see. Again, challenging, isn't it? Is that your life? Are you walking in that? Are you living that dream? Can you? I think you can. I think every one of us could. I think I really believe that. I wouldn't be saying this today. To tell myself, you know what? I'm going to heaven. And this stuff that's happening in my life today, yeah, I got to deal with it, but, you know, it, it's not forever. Heaven is forever. And I'm going to heaven, and, and I've been, been bought by the blood of Jesus, and I belong to him. I am a peculiar people, right? I am his. I've been bought with a price, and, and he's going to take care of me. And sometimes he gives me a lot, and sometimes he gives me a little. Sometimes he gives me a lot to deal with, and sometimes he gives me a break. But I'm his, and I'm going to live that life. I wrote this down because I think it's true is that, that I think we're, we are missing out. I think we're getting ripped off. I really do. I think we're getting ripped off. And I don't like to get ripped off. Do you like getting ripped off? When somebody steals something from you, when someone takes something from you, they take advantage of you. I hate that. But I think we're getting ripped off just by our own, again, those, that, that battlefield we face, our own flesh. The world telling us all kinds of other stuff and, and the enemy himself. You can't live for Jesus. You got no life now. You got to wait till you get to heaven to, to live anything good. You can't have any peace now. Forget it. 
Those are the kind of voices that, 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 uh, that we hear, that I hear. Jesus said it. He said the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. He likes to steal. He likes to rip us off from the stuff that should be ours. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. If anybody should be living the dream in this whole world, in this whole planet, it should be us believers. If anybody should be living the dream. Because the truth is, all the other dreams out there, they, they are chasing after the wind. And they are smoke and mirrors. And they will vanish and pass away. Look at verse 12. He says there that, that they made this, Paul, that Timothy made this good confession. Eternal life. Take hold of that eternal life. Grab a hold of that life that, that you have, which you were called to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Confessed him as the Savior, he did. That's just the starting. That's just a starting point when we believe, when we receive Him. I, I mentioned we're going to turn back. Let's turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's some verses I want to look at quickly in terms of what Solomon said. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, looking at verse 11. This is the God who says, I'm come to give you life and have it to the full. Look at verse 11. He said, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to, to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. And I know that everything God does will endure, how long? Forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. See, Solomon, despite all his searching, he, in the middle of these little nuggets of, of truth, that he said, you know what, God's, God's done. And it's, it's for you and I to live in it, to walk in it. Nothing better, he says, to be happy, to do good, to find satisfaction. That's the gift of God. Look at chapter 5 ahead. He, he talks about it again, chapter 5 and verse 19. He says, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. That is what we're talking about today. Being kept occupied with the gladness of heart so we're not reflecting on all the bad stuff we're reflecting on what God has done it's the gift of God to be content with what we have with who we are with where we are to find some kind of peace in that one more chapter 8 verse 15 he says so I commend the enjoyment of life 
What? I thought God wanted to be, me to be grumpy. Somebody came in to say, I've been grumpy today. Okay, but well, you don't have to stay that way. <laughs> right? Does God just want us to be grumpy all the time? No, we're going to have our moments, I understand, but he says... He wants us to enjoy the life that we have, the life to the full. Because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. You see, when you have God in the picture, it's a, it's a very different thing. At the end of the book, Solomon says, you know, he figured it all out at the end, you know, that to, to fear God and keep his commandments, to have a right relationship with God and to do what he says, that's, gonna, that's where it all boils down to. Living the dream. Paul said to Timothy back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he made this confession. Verse 13, he says, In the sight of God who gives everything, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you. So he said, Timothy, you made this confession, you, not confection, that's a good word too, though, right? That's sweet, right? You made your good confession, and he, and he says, but the, the one who also made a good confession is Jesus, and he made this confession before Pontius Pilate. I think one of the things that, that, that one of the ways that we get ripped off is that we're afraid to make a good confession about who it is that we serve. We're ashamed, we're embarrassed. But we'll let people know, you know what? I just follow Jesus. That's all, that's all I know. That's all, that's all I can tell you. He made the good confession. Jesus made the confession about heaven and, and about who he was in front of Pontius Pilate. And did it cost him anything? Yeah, of course it did. At the peril of his own life. Jesus made that confession. He tells uh, Timothy to keep this command and you say, what command is he talking about? Well, I think you can go right back to what we looked at in this section about fleeing and following and fighting. Keep the command. But it probably goes all the way back to the very beginning of this letter. He said, keep, keep the command. The whole charge. I guess the question is, how long is it? How long do we need to keep the command? That's the question, right? To flee, follow, to fight, lay hold of. I want to know how long do I have to keep doing this? Yeah, we're going to have life here. We're going to live the dream here now, but our, our home is in heaven and we're going to be there and I'm looking forward to that. I want to be there. But in the meantime, we're called to be in the world but not of the world. In the meantime, we're here. God protects us. How long do we got to keep at it? What does it say there? Look at verse... Uh, 14, he says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until when? The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. Until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to keep at it. How long do we got to keep at it? Until Jesus comes back. You say, well, how long do I got to keep doing this? Has Jesus come back yet? No. Do I got to keep doing this? Yes. 
Does God have life for me right here, right now in this world today? Yes, he does. I want to tell you that. Yes, he does for me too. We're going to leave this building in about, well, some of you um, in about uh, 19 minutes. Some of you in about 49 minutes. Some of you in about 60-something minutes. We're going to leave this building, we're going to go out there, and you're going to say, well, what, what is my life all about? Well, well, truthfully, it's between you and God. Are you, are you going to talk to him about it? Don't, don't come and say, hey, don't tell me all that stuff, pasta. <laughs> I'm just telling you what it says here. So if you have a, a problem, an issue, things aren't lining up, aren't adding up for you, well, first of all, yeah, you can come and ask someone to pray for you. Yes, and I encourage you to do that because it, it's powerful. There is power. One of the ways we get ripped off is we don't take advantage of, of all the things that he has for us. Prayer is powerful, and we don't take advantage of it. I don't see enough people coming. And I know you've got trials and troubles and tribulations, and you don't come and ask someone to pray for you. You don't even have to tell them what you need prayer for. Just say, pray for me, and they'll just push you right over. No, they won't. <laughs> they'll pray for you. I've seen, I've seen powerful things happen. But you're going to leave this building and, and, and take it up with, with Jesus. Jesus will, is it really true what what you said in John 10, 10, that's an easy one to remember. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the full. John 10, 10. See, you got that one now. You can bank on that. You can bank on that. John 10, 10. God's going to bring it, bring it about in his own time. And, and uh, you know, Jesus is going to return. And some of us might go to be with him before his return, but the, the blessed hope, we sang about it, he's coming back. And so for us to live for him today, right now, live the life, live the dream of, of being a servant, a follower, a, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, that we're on our way to heaven. Let's just finish these verses here because we're going to have communion. We need to save some time for communion. He says, verse 15, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see to him be honor and might forever go wow you see what he's just been saying to timothy you got to keep the charge you got to do it keep the command you need to, to lay hold of eternal life you need to to have everything that he has for you and this is why this is how this is who makes this all possible you see god and the things he talks about him we could do a we could do a a Sunday morning at every single one of those characteristics of who God is, the attributes of who our God is. How can you say that all this is possible? Well, this is how I can say, and that's why Paul said it too, because he just kind of breaks out into this praise thing, right? 
what do we call this? We call this a doxology. And he, and he does that frequently. He just all of a sudden breaks out into these doxologies. And, and, and I looked up the, the meaning of the word doxology. And it's very simple. Doxa is the word for glory. And logos or logi is the word for words. These are glory words. These are glory words. This is what he just breaks into the glory words. And you say he was kind of being Pentecostal there. Well, I don't know what he was doing, but it's glorious about who God is. And that's how we're going to live the life. Because of who he is, not because of who I am. When I look in the mirror at myself, I discovered a verse yesterday, and I'd never seen this before. And... Uh, it's in the book of Exodus. I'm reading in there, and you know, and they, they're talking about, you know, building the tabernacle, right? And he gives all the specific uh, dimensions and, and all the materials and stuff. And, and you know, I usually kind of read through that fairly quickly. I'll read it, but fairly quickly. Because, you know, I can't picture it all and, and, and all that. But right in the middle of that, it said that, that when they were building the basin, which is, a, which is a where they would wash, right? or they would cleanse themselves from the water, with water. They build this basin. It says that they built it with the brass that the women who served at the entrance, it was their mirrors. It says they took the mirrors, the brass mirrors that they had, and they took those and they, 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 they boiled it all down, they melted it all, and they made this brass basin. I see, I'd never seen that before. You know, if you say, I've read the Bible, well, you know what? You haven't even seen a, a, a little part of it if you read it once. I think we all need to be reading the scripture, the Bible, all the way through. And there's some parts I read a little faster than those. But I saw this little verse in there. I said, you know what? That's powerful. And the context of what I was just saying is that when we look at ourselves, they took the mirrors, you know, when they were focusing on themselves, the mirror. If we're looking more in the mirror than we're looking at the place where we get washed the blood of Jesus and the Savior, our Savior, we're, we're going to get into the meaninglessness and the chasing after the wind. But, but they, they, take, they took the mirrors and they, were, they gave them. And you read that passage, it, and just before that it says, whoever gave willingly. They, they gave these things willingly. They didn't come and say, you know, give me that. No, they gave it willingly. Where are we focusing? Who is it? Is it this God, the only, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one, whom no one has seen or can see? Notice the, 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 uh, the fact that he's unique. He's the only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light. He, he is, he is, he's set apart from all others. Say, well, how can I live the dream? How can I live the life? Well, it's him. It's him. It's the only way. And one more thing I discovered that, that, that I, that I kind of like too is this. Amen. He, begins, he, he ends with amen. Say, well, gosh, I know what amen. What does amen mean? So be it. So be it. Yeah, you just read it there. Did you know that before already? <laughs> so be it. So be it that it's firm, that it's trustworthy, that it's sure. That's what he says amen to. This is firm. This is trustworthy. This is sure. 
Is anything else is sure? God is sure. God is trustworthy. You can take that to the bank for sure. But I, I read this too, and this was kind of cool. Let me, let me put this up. This word amen translated, transliterated from Hebrew into Greek, into Latin, into English, etc. Practically a universal word. It has been called the best known word in human speech. Isn't that interesting? Because it kind of stayed the same. There's another, there's another name, I should say, that has that same kind of characteristic. Do you know what it is? Jesus. Universal word you can, can hear when they say, Yesu, Jesus. But amen kind of has made its way through that. So be it. But, but, but amen really, really doesn't do any justice by itself. It's following after something like this doxology, these glory words of who God is and what he's done. So be it because of who God is. So, are you living the dream? Do you want to live the dream? No, I want to be miserable. I want to be grumpy. I like being grumpy. What Paul said to Peter, you spent, a lot, you spent enough time in the past doing what the world does. You spent enough time in the past being Mr. Grumpy, right? Going for all the gusto the world has to offer. It's time to be, to be different, to live for him. Is it challenging? Yes, it is. I speak these words to myself, to you. So when you ask me, how's it going? I'm going to say, oh, fine. No. Because <laughs> that's just a big lie. A big fat whopper, as, we, as the grandkids have learned. We don't call it just lies yet. But when they say, that's a big whopper, they said, you mean lie? <laughs> that's a big lie. Because, because we're not focused. We're, we're not really grabbing hold of that eternal life, that life. Where does it begin? It begins at the cross. How does it continue? It continues at the cross. Where does it end? It always ends at the cross, at the feet of Jesus. I want you to turn with me as we begin our journey into communion here in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, that's the Gospel of John. Chapter 6, verse 35. He said, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Those are powerful words. I think in our spiritual battle, those are fighting words. Fighting against the enemies that we face, that we have partaken of the bread of life, you see. And then if we've come to Jesus, he promises you're never going to go hungry. If we believe in him, you'll never be thirsty. So that's where it all starts. Have you come to him? Have you believed in him? I have to ask the question because I don't know every one of you personally. I don't know where you're at in your lives. But have you come to him? Have you believed in him? Later in this section, he says that they will need to partake of him. And he speaks of his flesh and his blood. 
And they kind of like, whoa, I don't get all that. But, it, but when you read the whole context and you look at the whole thing that Jesus was saying, he's not speaking literally, but he's pointing to the cross that he would one day face, the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood. And that you and I, to follow him, we need to partake. We need to keep coming back and, and, and allowing that to be a part of our lives, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the cross. And he spoke, he spoke it to them, and, and he spoke very seriously to them. But, but it says in, in verse 66 that hearing that, Jesus saying these very challenging words, he says, many of his disciples, and the word disciples mean, means followers, it says many of his disciples, they, they turned back and they no longer followed him. Because he says, listen, if you're going to follow, you're going to follow. You need to partake of the cross. My body and my blood that was shed for you. Now again, he's looking ahead to the cross. Look at verse 67 and 68. He said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. In fact, in John 17, he says, eternal life is to know the Father and the Son whom the Father sent, to know him, to have a relationship with him. He challenged them, the disciples. Many of them said, you know what, I, this is getting too much for me. But his disciples, they said, you know what, we understand. There's no, other, there's no other place, no place I'd rather be. No other answer, no other life, no other hope than Jesus and the cross. Let's pray and then we're going to 